Well, as we continue through the, this book of Acts, our focus in, in the second half of the book is on the Apostle Paul and on his missionary journeys. And, and we see Paul go from place to place to place. And, and I don't know about you, but I get this sense of Paul that he is a guy with you know, infatigable energy, that he has this indomitable spirit. I get this sense of this guy who is, who is larger than life, who just simply won't let anything stop him. I mean, he'd been, at one point, beaten to the point where they thought he was actually dead. But he got up and kept going. He'd been whipped unjustly, but he didn't let that get in his way. He'd been thrown in prison and he was in there singing hymns to God and converting the jailer. I mean, there, there is no stopping the guy. He, he's like a Christian you know, John Wick or a Vin Diesel in any kind of action movie that, that he's in. It doesn't matter how many times he gets shot. It doesn't matter how badly beaten he gets. He will get up again and will relentlessly carry on the mission until it is fulfilled. And then he comes to Corinth. And there, I think we get a bit of a different picture. The account in Acts requires us to read between the lines a little bit, but he's much more explicit as he writes to, to the church that he planted there in Corinth you know, a couple of years later. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. The message paraphrase brings it home a bit more. It says there, uh, I was unsure how to go about this, this sharing of the good news of Jesus with you. And I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. And that does not fit the picture of Paul that we so commonly have. Maybe the, the beatings and the trials and being run out of town, maybe the arguments and the doubts and the rejections, maybe they've kind of finally caught up to him and are taking their toll. But whatever the cause, Paul, as he comes to Corinth, he's doing so with a fair degree of timidity, a fair degree of fear. Now, last week we talked about how to go about sharing the good news of Jesus based on Paul's experience, his experiences in Acts chapter 17. And we saw then that one of the things, that we, we need to know the scriptures. We need to expect resistance and trouble as we share. We need to listen to the other's story and to find points of connections with that. And we need to present Christ in word and deed as winsomely as possible. And if you were here last week and you heard that, or even just in the recap now, you, you might agree with all of that, and yet sit there feeling terrified of actually needing to do it. Still feeling uh, scared and fearful of actually speaking about Jesus with other people. Well, I think what Paul experiences in this chapter, he sp it speaks into that fear and anxiety. And it offers us hope and offers us encouragement in the face of our fear. So as the chapter opens, Paul arrives in Corinth, which is this major trading city, a capital of the province, and actually a den of immorality. Corinth was home to the temple of Aphrodite, where a thousand female slaves prostituted themselves, literally as part of her worship, to, to live as a Corinthian was understood as to live in all sorts of immorality. And it's certainly an intimidating place to take the message of Jesus into. 
However, as Paul comes there, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. And this husband and wife couple, they are always mentioned together in the scriptures, indicating that their ministry was a shared and a mutual one. In fact, um, as a wild side note, um, not wild, but you know, um, they are mentioned six times together in the scriptures and four of those times names Priscilla first. And so it's it's only a small thing. But it does seem to point to the factor of Priscilla as the woman having a significant ministry, involvement and presence. Anyway, these two become co-workers with Paul and they will later host churches in their homes in Ephesus and Rome. And while Paul worked with them making tents from Sunday to Friday, we read in verse 4 that every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. I've seen already that this was Paul's pattern in a new city, that he would seek out his fellow Jews in the synagogue and seek to show them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the King and the Saviour that they had been waiting for. And the phrase here of, of him trying to persuade carries with it this idea of ongoing, persistent effort. I mean, like Dory, he, he just kept trying, just kept trying, just kept trying. But at some point... They opposed Paul and they became abusive. So here is Paul, the bearer of the good news that the Messiah that they've been waiting for has finally come in the person of Jesus. And he so desperately wants for his people to understand and to grasp this fact. And so he's there sharing it, pouring out his life literally for their sake to get this message across out of love and concern for them. And they start abusing him. Think how discouraging that must have been for him. Paul writes to the Romans about his heart for his fellow Jews. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul says here that he was willing that he himself would be cut off from Christ if it meant that his fellow Jews would experience salvation. And so you you can grasp then the, the heart that motivates his mission to them. Unceasing anguish, he says. And so then when they oppose him again, and they abuse him again, and they reject his message again, Maybe something snapped for Paul. Maybe he just had enough. Maybe he was just so discouraged and frustrated that as we read, he shook his clothes out in protest. And he said to them, your blood just be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. He had done what he could. He'd poured out his life for his people for their good. And if they were going to continue to oppose him, well, he was going to give up on them. Now, in the big picture, he didn't because we see him as he goes to Ephesus. He's back in the synagogue, back doing uh, his, his usual pattern. So in the big picture, he didn't give up on them. But, but in this moment, at least, he, he kind of shook off the responsibility for them. What's interesting, though, you know, as he kind of despairs about the impact he's having on his fellow Jews, we're told that, in fact, there was the synagogue leader, Crispus, who did listen to Paul and believed in Jesus, as well as many other non-Jewish Corinthians. 
And yet, despite this kind of positive response, it seems that for Paul that, that more encouragement was needed. And this encouragement came to him directly from God. We read in verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So to a weak, fearful, discouraged, frustrated evangelist comes a message of hope and of encouragement. And it's here in these verses that I want to spend the rest of our time together today. Lee read the whole chapter, but, but this is the bit that, that we want to focus on. Because it's here that I think we'll find our encouragement as well. So think about just about every angel encounter that happens in the scriptures. Every time angels appear and the people who witness it are terrified and they fall down. You know, one of the descriptions is as if they are dead. And every time then the angels lead off with this phrase, do not be afraid. They offer that reassurance because they know that it's needed. They realize that they're terrifying, so they reassure them to not be afraid. And so likewise here, as God speaks to Paul in this vision, his first words are, do not be afraid. He offers this assurance to Paul because God knows that Paul needs it. I mean, every time Paul shares with the Jews, they turn on him. I mean, in fact, in our chapter for last week, we saw that it wasn't just enough for them to, to turn on him and kick him out of their own town. They followed him to the next town to stir up trouble there so that he'd be kicked out of there as well. And here they are opposing and abusing him yet again. Surely there's only so much you can take. And God then speaks comfort and courage into him. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And there's a reason why Paul is not to be afraid. God says, for I am with you. And here's the encouragement to us too, as we seek to share the news of God with others, the news of Jesus with others. And that is God's presence. It's the, it's the little kid standing up to the bullies who turn and run away not because he was so intimidating in and of himself, but because he doesn't realise that his dad's standing there behind him. God's presence makes the difference. God told a timid Moses as he commissioned him to go back into Egypt and to lead his people into freedom, God told him, I will be with you. As Joshua contemplated leading those people on into the promised land, he did so with the promise that the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When Jeremiah the prophet was set apart to be God's spokesperson, he felt inadequate because of his lack of ability and because of his youth. And so to him the Lord declared, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And Jesus promised his disciples, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Maybe Paul forgot. Maybe Paul doubted. Maybe he just needed reminding. Whatever the case, God reminded Paul and us of his presence, a presence that enables him to keep on going. 
Not only though did Paul have God's promise to bolster him, he also had God's protection. Unlike the previous cities that Paul had been run out of, God guarantees his protection in Corinth. He says, um, no one is going to attack you and harm you. And we see this play out then as he's brought before Galileo, the proconsul. And before Paul could even speak a word in his defence, the charges against him were just thrown out. Now, this is a promise specifically said to Paul in this situation. It's not a general message to us all the time that we'll have God's protection. I mean, if that was the case, if this was a verse that applied to all Christians everywhere at all times, then there would never have been a Christian martyr. But what it does display to us is that in hardship or in ease, in attacks or in protection, our lives are actually in God's hands and that he is the rock in whom we can find our refuge. He is our protector in all things. Then God explains why Paul will have this protection while he's in Corinth. God says, because I have many people in this city. Here's God's encouragement to Paul. Despite all the rejection that he's faced, despite all the hardship and opposition, God's encouragement to Paul is his presence, his protection, and now his people that he has waiting to be saved in the city. God has many people in this city that need to hear the message so that they can respond to Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. Now, very likely, Paul's sights had been lowered and his, his eyes were on all the rejection and all the opposition he'd received. He was looking at all the people who were rejecting Jesus. And God then was lifting his eyes again, lifting his vision to again see all this mass of people who needed to accept Jesus and to lift his eyes to see them as an encouragement for him to not give up and to not despair, but to keep on going. One of the commentaries I read in studying this said that the word for people used here is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to Israel. Here, though, it extends beyond just the Jews to include the Gentiles as part of God's chosen people. In other words, God had many more to add to his people in Corinth. And now for us too, we can too easily see the, the resistance and the barriers to our sharing. But God would remind us, as he reminded Paul, that he has many people that he desires to save, many more people, and to encourage us to not just stay comfortable where we are, to not back away from the task, but to be encouraged to move out into the harvest field that he has prepared. And so we read verse 11, Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. This is Paul's first extended stay anywhere on his missionary trips. And it's made possible by God's encouragement to him in the dream. And it was not without effect. God's encouragement was not without effect for Paul. Let's go back to his letter to the Corinthians. He writes, So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved that I would know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. This is, this is how I came, he says. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, 
but they were with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but that your faith might rest on God's power. And here then is the ultimate encouragement to us as we seek to share the message of Jesus with others. God works despite our fears and timidity. In fact, we could even say that God works because of them, so that the power to save is clearly God's. It's God's power that is at work, not ours. We can't save anyone. We can't even save ourselves. And the thought of that can then stop us from sharing about Jesus. We can think to ourselves, you know, and think about where Paul was, this den of immorality, this this city of, of sexuality and all sorts of whatever. We can think to ourselves, you know what, my words, they're not going to make any difference. And in one sense, we're right. They're not. But it's through our words and because of our words that God's power gets to work. The the gospel that we share is the power of God for salvation. And the inadequacy of our own words points to the fact that it's God and that it's his power that's at work. And so this is God's encouragement to Paul and to us for us to keep on sharing the good news of Jesus. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. The encouragement for us is found in God's presence with us, his protection of us, his people to be saved around us and his power through us. It's a message to motivate us to to keep on going despite our fear and our trembling. You know, actually, as I chewed over this message, as it just kind of percolated in the back of my mind over this weekend, I realised that each of these points of encouragement connect with what we talked about last week. This was not intentional on my part uh, by any means. But last week, one of the things we said was that we need to know the scriptures because it's in the scriptures that that's where Christ is revealed to us and where we are reminded of who he is and of his presence with us. We said last week we need to expect opposition and resistance, but we can stand in the face of that because God is our protector. Last week we said we need to listen to people first and find the points of connection in their story because God has many people that he wants to see saved. And we need to present Christ as winsomely as we can so that, so that people's faith will rest on the power of God that is experienced in the foolishness of what he's preached. These two chapters then, Acts 17 and 18, call us to share the message of Jesus with the people who need to hear it, telling us how to go about it and giving us the encouragement we need to do it. Now there's much more in this chapter that I won't touch on today Except to, except to say that Paul finds his way back to Antioch, which, had, which is where he had started his trip from. He finds his way back to Antioch and there he reports on the work that God has been doing while he's been sharing Christ. And what a blessing and an encouragement that that must have been for them as the sending church to know that the gospel was spreading and having effect. As Paul came back and was able to report on all the response to the gospel, how that must have just lifted their their spirits, how that must have prompted them to shout to the Lord. 
Well, church, for us, consider yourselves sent. We have gathered here together today in order to go out. We may not be travelling the world like Paul did, but, we are, but where we are is still very much the place of God's activity. And as we come back together next week and the week after that and the weeks after that, may we have stories to share of what God is doing in our world. And may the stories of people coming to know Christ, responding to Christ, uh, stories of our witnessing the power of God at work in seeing people saved, may those stories then prompt us as we then come back together to worship Him to praise Him, to throw ourselves in further trust and dependence on Him. May we be encouraged and motivated again to be about this work that He has for us. Because God is sending us into the world. We think as we gather each week that we're just doing our ordinary Christian thing. And that's true, we are. But part of that ordinary Christian thing is to go and to share Jesus with those around us. Doing so knowing that we've got His presence we have him as our protector, that there's people he wants to see saved and it's his power that, that is at work. So let's pray to that end. God, we look at the Apostle Paul and we think of him as this super-Christian, this you know, powerful missionary, and while that might be true, God, we see today that he was ordinary. He had fear and trembling. He knew the inadequacy of his words. He knew uh, that the message of you is resisted and opposed and that to, to speak it into certain places just feels so overwhelming and intimidating. God, he felt the same things that we feel as we seek to share you. And so may we go then with the encouragement that we've received from your word, that, that Paul received as you spoke to him. That we would not be afraid, for you are with us. You are our rock and our protector, that you, on which we can stand, you will uphold us in the face of all things. That there is a rich and plentiful harvest that you are deeply concerned about our city, God, and the people within it who are yet to be saved. And may, may the thought of them stir us and motivate us. And may we go knowing your, it's your power at work and that your power is displayed through the foolishness of the gospel, this message of a crucified saviour who is yet the promised and hoped for King, Lord, glorious, uh, glorious one. So may we go, God, knowing that we are as your people that we are sent. And may, as we go, may you use us, may you work in us and through us, may you work despite us. And may, when we gather again, we have stories to share of what you are doing that will just prompt us more and more in our faith and our trust in you. And may we see, God, your church grow. Not necessarily this church, but, but your people grow as more and more people come to know you. We pray this. In Jesus' name, as you send us out, amen.